everyone, we're in conversation with Daniel Lamar. Uh, first of all, it's an honor, sir. Uh, you are an exquisite Canadian, for those that don't know. Your career is incredible. Uh, whether you were at, obviously, we'll talk about the Cirque du Soleil because uh, that's, I mean, that is an institution across the world, let alone uh, for us Canadians here in Canada. We look at such respect for what you've done with the Cirque du Soleil. Uh, but, I mean, for those that don't know, I mean, you've, you've had stints at Casta Populaire. Uh, you know, you've been at NPR, uh, you know, you've, you've been in Bursa Marsteller. So there is a career of yours before Cirque. And sometimes it's great to understand a little bit of, be, you know, the man behind the mask, uh, as much as obviously you're famous and have done so much for the Cirque. So I, I actually just have a question about your career to start us off. And, you know, we have this little fireside chat going in this session. Um, what, what does leadership actually mean to you? How, how would you denote leadership as you look back both at your career of your leadership, but, you know, through the many different individuals you've worked with, whether with Guy, uh, whether with the Beatles, whoever that might be, just tell me a bit about what leadership means to you. Yeah. First of all, what's, what's important for me is that you are able to have and, and, and share with your team a very clear vision. And, and then when you have that, mobilize people behind it. What I like to do in life, and that's what I've been doing in every job I had, was to make things happen. And to make things happen, uh, you, 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 you need to have this leadership that people are behind your idea, support your idea, and then uh, have the opportunity to deliver all together uh, something uh, fantastic. Wow. And what, what's an example where you saw that come to light, whether your own leadership or maybe at some point during your career, like give us a kind of a personified example there where this came to fruition. Yeah. It, you know, as, as you know, I've been in different positions. So when I was the owner of a largest PR firm here in Canada, you know, I, I had to mobilize our people to deliver you know, the best communication plan for our clients. When I was at the, the CEO of a TV network was to deliver the best ratings. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and here at Cirque, uh, my job is to put together the right creative condition for the creators and the artists to deliver the best possible show. You think that there's, um... I mean, Cirque du Soleil, what an example. And of course, your time at TVA, Kojiko, NPR, like you have been in very creative industries, I would say. Uh, and as you kind of look out to other industries and the fact that, you know, you've had to work with hotels in Vegas or venues and events across the world in the traveling shows with Cirque, what do you say is missing from people's leadership, given how much flair and creativity and innovation you have naturally, and as you've shown in through all your leadership roles and positions, but what do you see as sort of the, the deficiency or what, what could people work on with their own leadership to, to get to the heights that you've managed to get to in your career and with your organizations? Yeah, before I joined Cirque, I thought that I was really creative. But yeah. 20 years later, I have to say that I've learned a lot from Guy Laliberté, our founder, from yeah. the best creators in the world. You know, we've been working with, you know, the Beatles, with James Cameron, and observing our directors that are directing our shows really, really helped me to understand that I could push the boundaries of creativity much more. Oh, that's amazing. 
Well, uh, you've written an excellent uh, book uh, called Balancing Acts. What a what an awesome title, first of all. Uh, and then in it, you've you've come up with some really good ideas for you know us, uh, the people who might not think of themselves as creative or innovative, but also in our leadership of self and leadership of teams. Uh, I, I think it's just a fantastic book. One of the things you you write about is this notion of knowing when to step up and when to step back. And so tell us a bit about what that means and maybe an example or two of how you've seen that occur so that you know the outcome has been a positive one. Yeah, the, the idea behind the book is I thought, based on my learnings here at CERC, that I could share what I've learned from, as I said, the best creators in the world. And the way to do it is there is a process. Yeah. Going that you are giving to your creative team and or to your employees. And it doesn't matter in what sector of activity you are, you can put together those process that will send a very clear signal to your employees that you are in the lookout all the time for new creative ideas. Well, it, it, it sounds to me, and also obviously it's in the book that you know um, you believe in uh, not just equality, but in the equality of ideas and where those ideas may surface from. It's not just Guy's show. Uh, it's not just um, you know Danielle's show. It is our show. So again, like. Help us understand why that's so important when you're, I guess, listening for the ideas and wherever those ideas might come from. Yeah, I think this is crucial because if people don't feel that they are empowered to, you know, come and debate and bring ideas, they have to have a clear feeling that their ideas is welcome and that they can disagree with us. They can debate with us. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if the idea comes from me or from any employees at the firm. What's important, and that's a key principle of me, is that the best idea should prevail. Oh, I love that. I think a lot of listeners and readers of this column will love that too, because there's so much in leadership that suggests it's, quote, the senior leader or the most uh, senior leader that should have the ideas and all the ideas which as you've proven through through many years of your leadership and obviously you know the last 20 odd so at Cirque that it is coming from within the culture which then segues to a really important question about culture uh, the Cirque du Soleil culture is one that is known for not just creativity and innovation but almost like a family you know, when, when uh, you have the tours, the troubadours, you know, that's a family unit. When you have the shows in Vegas, that's a family unit. But even in headquarters, like, as I understand, it's it's a family unit. And so maybe it's not, quote, a one-to-one -one relationship family like we call our family. But tell us a bit about the CERC culture and why what you've created is so important to be innovative and creative and ultimately to you know, um, satisfy the client as you are obviously a, a business to consumer business. Yeah, I think there is two very important things to be said about it. First of all, uh, you know, people today are talking about diversity, but at Cirque du Soleil, we never talk about it. We are diversity. Ah, we beautiful. have employees coming from 49 different nationalities. And because of that, we have this mix of cultures of people coming from all over the world 
that when you're talking about this idea of family, you're right, but it's an international family. Uh, it's so rich to have people coming from all around the world, here in Montreal, in our creative studio, having the passion to deliver together a new show. That's really core uh, in our values. Oh, I love that. Uh, and I, that, that the line you delivered there, which I know this isn't a line, uh, people often organizations have sort of had to wake up uh, because of societal demands uh, to focus on EDI or, you know, uh, equity or equality, diversity and inclusivity. What I loved is he said, we are diverse. We are uh, about equi equity and, and equality. We are inclusivity due to the fact that you, I suppose, right, crafted the culture from the get-go to be inclusive of all nationalities from around the world. I think, I think a lot of folks could look up to Cirque du Soleil as a, as, a, as a blueprint, right, to how they actually manifest their organization. So that, is that fair? Yeah, not only it's fair, but there is a process again behind it. Because mm. here at Cirque du Soleil, we don't hire people. We cast people. Uh, There's yeah. a huge difference. Because when you cast people, you want to have the best people in the world. And that's what we do. And that's how that's why I'm, I'm, I'm challenging our HR people to say, if we're casting the best artists, we should be casting the best people. Doesn't matter in what sector they are. And that's a concept that I invite people to look at. Because, because when you cast, you're looking for the best. When you hire, sometimes you just want to hire the most important available person. Fair enough. I love it. Uh, in Balancing Acts, you also you have a line in there that stuck out for me. Uh, and that is, um, to be creative is to make yourself vulnerable. And that is a powerful line uh, for a few ways. One of which is you're linking vulnerability to creativity. Uh, secondly, far too often leaders believe that they should be Teflon, you know, nothing sticks to them, that they shouldn't open up their soul uh, or be vulnerable because, you know, that's the underbelly. Leaders are supposed to be tough and rigid and make tough decisions. So uh, I just want to unpack that line and, um, and ask, ask you, why is that line so important to you? To be creative is to make yourself vulnerable. Because that's what we do. We are producing shows. And, and, and by definition, it's so risky. You never know from one show to the next if you are going to, again, surprise people, if you're, again, going to be able to challenge your customer. And our artists, by definition, are themselves vulnerable because when they go on stage, they have to perform to a level that brings a lot of risk. So if it's true for them and they're the core of your business, it has to be true for us as well. They have to feel that we are sharing their, their level of performance, but also their level of risk. Mm. And that's what I like to do. That's why I want my artists to feel that I am as vulnerable and as committed to push the level of performance as they are on stage. Oh, I love that. And is it, again, something you see that more leaders should be uh, advocating for in their own leadership style, this notion of being vulnerable and open and transparent and honest with themselves and with the team so that that creativity uh, can come to the surface? 
in today's world, for me, this is this is a given. You uh. have to act that way because people are looking for authenticity. They are looking and 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 not only in a speech, but the way you act. Because uh. your employees are looking at your decision. They're not looking at your speech. They want to see, you know, if you are by your action doing what you say in your speeches. And, and that's why uh, you have to find a way for people to see the right signal uh, in the action you're taking and more importantly, in the decisions that you are taking. Amazing, uh, I love it. Uh, you start the book off with a pretty important story uh, about how um, the Beatles' love Cirque du Soleil show came to be. Now, I would call myself a bit of a Cirque junkie. I mean, I've, I've seen Mystere, I've seen Zumanity, oh, of course, Ka, I mean, I've seen a ton of the, the, the traveling shows. I've been to Tokyo, I saw that one, uh, hence the Tokyo backdrop for you today. Um, the story itself uh, speaks to me, without giving anything away, about the vulnerability that you just alluded to because you were pushing for the creativity. So um, we can unpack it just with a couple of questions. The first is uh, you, you also have a resilience, I would argue, in your leadership style, because as you, you can unpack the story for the, for the audience here, but you know, basically things weren't going well in terms of what your budget was supposed to be and what the budget ended up being. So maybe share how your resilience and being vulnerable actually led to you know one of the most phenomenal shows ever. By the way, I've seen it five times. Um, so tell me a bit of a, Beatles, a bit of a Beatles fan, as you can tell, and I just love the introduction in that about the Get Back documentary with Peter Jackson. I mean, it's just fantastic what you've done, and you've you've uh, uh, eloquated how um, the 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 Abbey Road, you know, top of the road. Uh, top of the building, sorry, at Apple Studios concert is like how you've come up with this. Anyway, I could talk for hours about the Beatles, but the story itself, I think, comes back to your resilience and your vulnerability to push for the creativity. So just maybe help us understand how that came to be and, and what you learned out of it. Yeah, first of all, uh, you know, Guy, our founder, was, a, you know, becoming friends with uh, George Harrison. Yeah. And we had this amazing opportunity to meet with the Beatles. At the time, it meant uh, George uh, and Ringo and Paul and also Yoko. And uh, I remember myself, you know, pitching myself because I'm also a, a, a Beatles fan and I was so excited to meet with, with them. But the one thing that made it work is because we never, ever give up. There was a lot of obstacle uh, ahead of us. Uh, first of all, we have to convince them that we could deliver at the level of their brand, that right. we will be respectful of their music. Then we had to deal with the record companies. And then there was a ton of obstacle. And, uh, and we just wanted to do it. So for us, the obstacle was just like an anecdote because we just want and, and, and keep pushing. And then we went to MGM, you know, the, this amazing partner we have in Las Vegas, and you know they were looking at the theater and they wanted to invest $30 million. And uh, we wanted theater at the level of the Beatles and Cirque. So we right. came to them and we said, this is the theater we want. And uh, it ended up costing three times uh, what they had in their budget. But at the end of the day, I can tell you many years later, they don't regret that. <laughs> but it would have been much easier for us to say, okay, we'll work with this or we'll do this or we'll do that. 
or worst, we could have said, we're giving up because it's too complicated. But there was no way that we're not, we were going to give up because we thought that we will bring our own brand to the next level by delivering uh, at the level of the music of the Beatles. And as you said, uh, we won that gamble. Oh, indeed you won. Not just, you know, my, my, my dollars five times over, but, uh, you know, everything about the experience, as you've shared in this book, really uh, sets a tone for, and I, again, I believe there's, there's creativity and the need for innovation, but you were vulnerable enough to ultimately kind of show up at, you know, at lunch, at lunches and say, hey, how about this idea? How about that idea? And dropping actual plans to what, um, you know, the arena would look like. Uh, it's in the round, and, and it, you almost, with that vulnerability and resilience, right? You you laid a path for the, the for the Mirage uh, people, right? To say, well, I guess we better do this. And it sounds like, in the end, that's what they did. They came to the conclusion with your vulnerability and resilience that this is going to be the most creative show ever, and it's gonna it's gonna win over the hearts and minds of attendees for years to come. Which fifteen years ish later seems to be the case. Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, and that's why, you, you know, people shouldn't stop, uh, you know, being in a position where it, they, they do compromise or they do too much compromise or they're too, you know, uh, going away from their big dream. We had a big dream and that dream, we shared it with the CEO of MGM and we came to a position that was tough to say no, because we were so passionate about what we were pitching to them. And, and that's important too. If you believe in, in, in your project, if you believe that you will make a difference in the entertainment world, in our case, or in any sector that you're in, you have to be able to convince people that's the way to go. And that at the end of the day, everybody will win. Can't, uh, can't leave you without asking a bit about the pandemic, obviously. Um, you know, uh, you are an entertainment company. Uh, your business model, uh, for the most part, is going to be bums in seats, right, in arenas and in traveling shows. So how has your culture and your, uh, Danielle, your leadership style helped withstand, you know, ultimately the pandemic? You, you're back running in shows again, obviously. But just tell us a bit about how you've handled you know, a situation that's unlike any of us really have been prepared for uh, prior to. Yeah, that was obviously, uh, you know, a nightmare. I never thought in my life that I will wake up one day and 48 hours later, I had no more shows, like zero shows, meaning zero revenue. Right. And that was horrible. But, uh, and, and I had to let go, you know, most of our people. Right. And uh, obviously people were saying, are they going to survive? But then again, we were convinced in the strength of our brand. And we have convinced our lenders that if they would support us, that the day after the crisis, the company will be up and running. And that's what they did. And they have invested $375 million to allow the relaunch of our activities, which says a lot about the strength of our brand. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and today, they're very happy that they have supported us because we're back on business right now and, and it's going very, very well. But all of that would have been impossible without the strength of this global brand and our belief 
that we can regain the market the way we did. Amazing. Well, as I say, the, the book, Bouncing Acts, it's amazing. There is uh, lesson after lesson after lesson in the book. Uh, is, there, is there one or two or three that you want to end here in this interview with to sort of say, hey, you know, you, um, you know, an up and coming leader, these are my kind of key takeaways for you to consider as a leader. Yeah, the, the, one thing, the one thing I would say is don't read it just as anecdote about Cirque. Yeah. Just, just translate our stories about how it could impact your own situation personally and professionally. And, and that's the first advice I would like to, to give to people. And then here and there, I think you have to start with an open mind about how reading this book will open up your own creativity, because that's my ultimate goal. I would love after someone has read the book to say, it's open up my creativity. It's, uh, it's inspiring me. It's pushing me to be more creative in my life. And at the end of it, my personal life is more fun. My, profession, my professional life is more exciting and I'm delivering more than I thought I could by being more creative. That's my ultimate goal with the book. Love it. Uh, as a uh, Canadian, as someone who has married a French Canadian, as someone who has spent five years in Montréal, uh, as a fan of Cirque du Soleil, uh, it's been an honor, Daniel Lamar. Uh, thank you so much for the time. Learned a lot and um, good luck with the book. Good luck with uh, the rest of your, your storied career. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers.